This is a fourth hand production. Story in the news today. You believe in ghosts and the paranormal? Are they UFOs or are they like some crazy experimental, you know, governmental planes that they're building? And police in Española are catching more than just criminals. They're catching images of what they believe are ghosts. There's this weird animal-like creature that was shot, wolf-like creature that just stood out in some odd ways. And welcome everybody to Strange Uncles. I'm Shane. I'm John. I'm very tired. <laughs> welcome yeah, back. Welcome Thanks. back to the living, sir. Uh, I wouldn't go that far. Yeah. Well, there you go. Half dead, maybe. Yeah. Well, You're was it fun though? Dead inside. Yeah. <laughs> I see yeah. your eyes are like voids over there. Oh man. So You're just tired. like a re- reanimator. Oh, I must have accidentally like I don't know. Dude, I got like four hours of sleep for like the last three nights of my trip. Oh, like, seriously? Yeah. So, and usually I take the day I come back from a vacation off from work and I did not. And that was a, that was a mistake. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Problem I just covered one. my next shift when I fly back from the fest that I'm going to. Nice. Uh, and it's funny. My coworker hit me up. She's like, do you want this to get covered or don't you get back that day from your vacation? I'm like, yeah, I probably do want to get that covered. <laughs> Thanks for looking yeah. after me. Because yeah. I don't want to stand around pouring beers being tired as fuck. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, man, that's cool. I think all of us have been kind of out and about. Uh, well, what did you hit? You hit Portland first or Seattle first? I can't remember. Uh, Portland, then the Amtrak up to Seattle. Oh, okay. Oh, you took yeah. the Amtrak? That's awesome. That's but you yeah, would see these arms of snakes, so what's, what's the point of going up there? <laughs> uh, have you been to either of those cities? Multiple, I mean, I know you have a million times. Yeah, they're just fun places to be. That's but the per- that's that's what the person that goes there for the first time says. But <laughs> Portland, uh, <laughs> Portland first might have been a bad idea. I think that's why we ended up not going to the show. No, yeah. honestly, like, uh, so they played two nights, Saturday and Sunday, and we had tickets for Sunday, and we walked by the venue Saturday night, and they had the doors open. And like, we just got hit with the blast of hot, wet air coming out of the venue. uh, And we were just all like, I'm not ready for that. I don't want to deal with it. Like it was asses to elbows, nuts to butts. Like it was for these arms or snakes. I'd have been like, all right, boys, I'll see you afterwards. Cause I'm going. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was just kind of like a last minute thing. It was just like, uh, was it, uh, but did they have like protocols in place? Like, was it? vaccination cards mass anything like that or probably not uh, i don't know about that particular venue okay um but there were a lot of places we went in seattle that were like yeah you got to show proof of vaccination to get in and wear a mask if you're not like actually eating and, and drinking and stuff like yeah. that but which which what honestly venue, what venue was it good. i think it was uh nemo's nemo's however okay. you say that cool right yeah. there by big mario's oh that's yeah. nemo's yeah 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 i've been there yeah, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, we uh, it was neat. So while you were in Portland for the first time, we actually drove to Seattle on Saturday and uh, saw our favorite band for the first time since like pre-COVID. And they played Neptunes, and we got a hotel that was like right across the road. 
and walked into the lobby after the day. It's like a four and a half hour drive from Spokane. It's not bad. And uh, there's Eugene Hutz, lead singer, just shooting the shit with his fucking guitar, talking to some guy from Ukraine, just hanging out. <laughs> so <laughs> we checked him nice. out. And then uh, the show, I, I, and I'll be honest with you. So this is a positive thing. And I want to share this with the listeners and, and on this episode because I, I, I just thought it was really kind of cool. So the show was, uh, it was sold out as of like two weeks ago. My wife calls me up Thursday. I was in Salt Lake actually with you guys. And uh, she says, hey, there's tickets opening up all of a sudden for this Gogo Bordello concert in Seattle. And I'm like, uh, really? Well, that's fucking weird. Why? Well, because people didn't know that you have to show your vaccination card or you have to prove a negative test within 24 hours and mass on the whole time. And so as shitty as that sounds, to be honest with you, we're like, fuck it. It's our favorite band. Let's go. You know, so we bought tickets. We went. They did the whole screening going in, and every now and again, I'd look back on the audience because we had, like, front row. The guy that was next to me was a friend of the lead singer for, like, 20 years. He's from Russia, and he's telling me all these childhood stories. It was just fucking surreal. But every now and again, i look back at the audience, and almost everybody, with the exception of a handful of chin diapers, was wearing a mask. Bouncing up and down, rocking out, but they kept getting their mask up on their nose because that's what you have to do to go have a good time. And you know what? People were responsible. That's what they required. And we loved it. And so, yeah. you know. Well, and I think when you have those kind of protocols in place at a venue and, a, and just like that city in general is taking things a lot more seriously than we do because. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, I think they got hit center. a lot yeah. harder. It was, in, it was ground zero, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so people take it a little more seriously or they just won't let the ones that don't in. You know, right. Well, and that's what happened. It was funny because they were turning people back because they didn't know and they just wouldn't let them in. And so, but it was, uh, it was blast anyway. You know, I'm glad. Well, how are you? How are you not even vaccinated by this point? I I, I think at this point it's on purpose. Yeah. Yep. Like if you haven't got vaccinated yet, it's like, well, you're just, you're just being a dick. Yeah. Yeah, Like you don't want to. And again, we're not trying to sit here and preach our, uh, our campaigns, you know, but yeah, you know what? We went out, we had a good time, and we did it because we did what we were supposed to. We followed, you know, what, what we, we looked at the protocols, and yeah, it just, I don't know. Yeah, anyway, whatever, to each your own. You know, at this point, yeah. like you said, John, if you're not vaccinated, your, you know, your freedom home. of speech <laughs> is hindering on my right to, to kind of be normal and health, and, mm. and come on, man. You know, be a good person. It's like when you're hey. the drive-in, right? You, every now and again, I pay for the guy behind me because it's kind of cool to do. You pay things forward. I don't know why we can't do that in society right now, and it just seems like we can't do that. So, you know, there's that. But anyway. Yeah. But for sure. But uh, well, who do we got? Anyway. Who do we got on today? Who yeah. do we got on? Tonight? Yeah, we got. Uh, so we have a returning. I feel like the price is right. Uh, we had this guy on back in April. Uh, his name is Mark uh, Fiorentino. He, number one, the first time we had him on, uh, it, wow. I mean, I, I John, I think you've said it time and time again. Like, the guy just runs his brain around us. Like, it's unbelievable. He spent years researching the Einstein theory, unified theory, uh, anti-gravity, slip wave. Like, he, you know, he has a book called Master Reality uh, that he came out with uh, when we had him on. And it's making some traction, you know, so it's kind of cool. And we were able to have him back on, and it just so happened that he has some new research, new updates, a paper that just got released, I think, August 14th, right, boys? I think somewhere around there, a 52-page document that just basically outlines his whole theory and where he is at with it. Um, And on top of the fact, he's just a great guy, you know. 
Yeah, he's a really good guy. Um, yeah, it's uh, we'll post the link to this paper. Uh, yeah, yeah, Published and on uh, August fourteenth, twenty twenty one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, I mean honestly, the, the guy's amazing. So um, I don't know if you have any updates or anything on your side. I, I think we roll an interview and we go from there. I think we ask questions that we didn't really ask the first time we had him on. Uh, and there were some new enlightening things, I think, this time around. So if you did hear them before, you know, this isn't repeat. You know, this is some good stuff out here. Um, always great to have somebody that just has a passion. And, and I I feel truly, and I don't know about you guys, I really feel like he's got a passion, man. He's taking a lot of time into this stuff. So Yeah, and, uh, man, I really want to get, like, I don't know. I just wish there was some world-renowned physicist that would look at his theories, look at his math, and, like, Right. Look at but it with like an open, seriously, but look at it with an open yeah. mind and not be like, well, this is this. And it's like, well, but like, yeah, like, are you sure? Yeah, that's exactly, problem. you know, not, yeah. not like, uh, dismiss it out of hand. Cause he's not also a world renowned physicist or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or like, yeah, I don't know. Agreed. And we talked about this on the last episode, just like how science is very like, to club and like there are that like i don't know i would be interested to see what some do, like badass physicists like really thought about his his math right like right exactly and that's where i was coming from too and i think you know maybe after the interview we'll talk a little bit about that um i think that's the crux right there it is you know somebody that's going to come out and go oh holy shit you know you're not the only one saying this some of this makes sense and mm-hmm. so i don't know if you guys don't have anything else uh let's kind of roll into the interview shall we Sure. All right, everybody. Uh, This is Mark Fiorentino, book author of Master of Reality, and it was great to have him back on. Open the gates. So Arthur, Mark Fiorentino has been obsessed with Einstein's unified field theory ever since hearing about it when he was 10. He worked for many years in the high-tech industry, including for IBM. Then he retired early in 2016, and it was so he could actually compile all of his notes concerning the study of the history of physics focusing on Einstein and his research. He continued to study the clues hidden in the past and eventually was able to compile the clues into a set of concepts that would lead to the realization that both special and general relativity just needed to be extended a little in order to achieve Einstein's dream of the completed unified field theory as he first envisioned it. We had Mark on the show uh, earlier back in April of 2020 and only had time to touch the tip of the proverbial iceberg, if you will. And so Mark is back with us with further research, new papers, new theories, uh, and we can't wait to pick his brain on everything. And Mark, thank you so much. Welcome back to Strange Uncles. Yeah, thank you for having me, guys. Looking forward to this. Absolutely. That's going to be fun. Absolutely. I think if I remember right on the last one, and, and I reviewed the episode a little bit earlier today, uh, it, 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 needless to say, your, your theories, your viewpoints, everything, really, you, you've, you, you set us back. Like, you really have got to wrap your mind around what it is, what it means, the work you've done. Um, and I think for people that really, maybe they haven't listened to that previous episode, Mark, would you mind just doing a snippet, really, of your, just your work in a nutshell and just so the, the new listeners can kind of get an updated feel about what you, where you're coming from and the work you've been doing? Sure. Um, I decided uh, upon my retirement, I was going to write a book about Einstein, a unified field theory, and a theory of super relativity, which is 
my extended version of general and special relativity. Basically, in that book, I uh, make it clear that uh, the origin of mass, gravity, and inertia really come from the same mechanical process. And this paper I've just written and put on ResearchGate is uh, a clear explanation for my mathematical model that I put there. And so basically, you know, I worked on the unified field theory, which is electromagnetism and gravity emerge as aspects of a single fundamental field, which is the ether. And in my book, I talk a lot about the ether because it was disregarded and disposed of back in 1905. And that was a big mistake. So I spend a lot of time reestablishing that as the truth. So because the whole theory really is built upon of the ether theory. And uh, so that was very important to reestablish, correct the mistakes of interpretation and get us back running on the right track again, which is basically what the book's all about, you know, fixing the mistakes and, and uh, getting us back uh, on the right track in physics. What? So if you don't mind me asking, we'll start there real quick. Why was it trashed in 1905? Like what was the theory? Just it, people ran into a wall and they just didn't feel like it, it was a thing. <laughs> Back before 1905, there was a group, a really great group of scientists, including Einstein, Lorenz, Poincaré, and uh, a few others, Fitzgerald, another one, uh, were sure that the ether existed. And so in order to prove that, uh, this guy named Michelson and later on Morley decided they would conduct an experiment to detect the ether wind. So basically, as the Earth moves through space, they figured that the ether would is really stationary. And that, that does make sense, actually. Mm. Uh, and it was a quasi-elastic solid. And so the Earth's moving through this. There should be an ether wind. So they, they, they used some particle to try and detect the wind, which was the photon. And they, they were shooting beams at right angles, and seeing, you know, in different times of the year, they would run this experiment because the Earth is in different positions going around the sun. So they're figuring uh, it's going in four different directions throughout the year. So and some at some point, it's either going with the ether wind uh, uh, or against it. Mm-hmm. And so there should be a timing difference in these two beams as they come back. And they were expecting to see a timing difference. But in each case... And they did this for like for four years running. They found no difference. There was no ether wind detectable. And it took me years to understand why that experiment failed to detect the ether. I mean, it was stunned. Einstein was stunned and, and Lorenz was stunned. Um, the, the mathematics of special relativity was developed using the ether model. They fully expected it to be detected. And then when it wasn't, First of all, Einstein was watching in the background. He knew that Michelson was running this experiment. And he talks about it in speeches later on that he knew about it. And, and so now it's, it's known that that experiment affected what he said in special relativity, which basically said, I don't need the ether to have this system work. And so he right. disregarded it. And that started the, the ball rolling. So it's kind of a little bit Einstein's fault that this whole thing got screwed up. Hmm. But why the ether wind was not detected 
was because, and it states it right in special relativity, and it took years for it to sink in my head. But basically, it wasn't detected because photons always travel at the speed of light. And, you know, oh, and then they said that, well, oh, photons are independent of any frame of moving frame of reference. Okay. So it's impossible for that experiment as designed to detect the ether wind because that the motion of the photon is completely independent of the Earth moving through space, of uh, the apparatus moving. If you shine a beam of light, if you're standing in, uh, in a car in a train and, and you're moving at 100 miles an hour and you shine a beam of light, it isn't the beam of light plus 100 miles an hour. <laughs> it's right, the okay. speed of light. That's all it is. It won't matter how fast the train is moving in what direction. So it's the same thing with the Earth. It doesn't matter how it's moving through the ether because the light, the speed of light, is internally caused. Hmm. It's, and that makes it independent from like anything that would be external force that would be throwing a light particle or a light beam. You can't. It just shoots out by virtue of its, you know, the slip wave, which I also talk about in my book, which is the discovery of how particles move. Then it made sense. It won't matter. This experiment cannot possibly work because light has no mass, therefore no inertia and no hope of generating and detecting the motion through um, the ether. So... Mm. That's how it happened. And, and it's kind of complicated because Einstein, you know, threw us a curveball with making everything relative one thing to another, but not to the background um, ether, which is a stationary object, which was the way those, those math equations for special relativity were designed. And uh, all, all we've done is saying, well, we got two systems of motion. One of them will be zero simulating the background motion of it and then the other one you're calculating whether it's moving toward it or away for from it and how fast and then, then the equations work hmm. so it does kind of look like that it's all about this motion relative to this other thing but it, it, it's not really and, and Lorenz warned Einstein he said do you are you sure you want to make the speed of light a constant because odds are it's not and, yeah. you know, in my book, I talk about how it really isn't. And there's evidence to prove that. Yeah. Which literally but, um, led them down a completely different path. I, I mean, you know, that, that one crux, it takes one, it takes one tiny sand on the beach, really, you know, to change everything. It, it's amazing. It did. It changed the course of history and physics. That, along with quantum mechanics, completely collapsed classical physics and any hope of achieving the unified field theory because it's going to it's a field theory. And it, it's a it's a theory of a continuous substance that you can have fields in, like a magnetic field, mm -hmm. a gravitational field, or an electrostatic field. These are bendings of the continuous material, the ether, different types of bendings. And so people stop thinking that way. And, and if you talk to physicists about, you know, bending of space, space is a real object, most of them get very frustrated and, and, and get annoyed by that conversation and so there was no hope really yeah. of finding it until somebody stepped back and, and looked at the whole picture and corrected the errors in history which is mm -hmm. what i've done yeah and, and you know, it's not and it's and it's 
called a theory, right? Like it's not the right in the title law. It's not <laughs> yeah. law. It's uh, no. it's tech, it's a theory. Mm-hmm. No, it's built upon you know concepts and sure, yeah, <laughs> things like that. The way you think it works, and then you do the math. The math is the language that right. uh, physicists use to declare how something works mechanically, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And uh, I use pure mechanics, where quantum mechanics is really based in probabilities. So it really can't physically tell you how things work. That's why you get all these goofy, nonsensical interpretations, because there's no basis in the mathematics to explain things mechanically. So I think we talked about this last time because that that rings a bell. Of course, you know you mentioned slip wave and and some of the other things. And, and let's not forget actually to mention your book. And and I we'd like to do a catch up on that. Uh, Master of Reality, uh, and it came out I think not too far. It was fairly new when we had you on last time, I believe. Um, yeah, yeah. And then you uh, you talk about slip waves. You talk about some of this other stuff going on. You know for sure when you when you discuss your theories and like quantum. We were on that topic. You're completely, you know, you hear it nowadays all over. You know, I, in fact, I think I caught an article the other day that Google invented a time crystal and everybody's all <laughs> up in arms because, you know, this is a thing that's going on now. But in reality, you know, like you said, quantum is probability. Like, it, you know, you can come up with any weird out off the wall idea for something that, that because it can't be explained because it, it isn't explainable. Is that the best way to look at quantum or is that right? Well, it, it tends to be nonsensible. They, they they put forth various explanations based on some some probability math. You know, Feynman did it. Uh, you know, you know the many paths uh, idea, where a particle. You know, to explain something like the double slit experiment. Well, the particle, you know, has many paths it can possibly go. Pro- probability speaking wise, and it's taking all these paths, and then it chooses one when you look at it. So now we're starting to get into, okay, you know what, Richard, that makes no sense. You're telling me a particle chooses, he's got, it's actually going all of them at the same time. And only when we look at it, it picks one, and then it's observed. So our observation of that made it so. You know, right. it, it gets worse and worse because, you know, why would a particle go every possible path <laughs> to get to some particular point? That doesn't make sense. And, and, and it goes on and on. And there's so many of those. There's like, I don't know, from from Copenhagen interpretation on, there's all kinds of splinter offs, you know, all these different kinds of little subset theories where, you know, it's infinite things and particles don't have a uh, uh, position or, or uh, velocity. You know, there's all kinds of pseudo explanation based on the fact that, you know, you, you can't really know something until you observe it. So let's just say that since we can't really know something, since we, you know, can't observe it, then it doesn't exist until we observe it. Mm. So now existence depends on our observation. Now you're getting into more nonsense. Why would the moon depend on our opposite? If I turn my back and not look at the moon, the moon does go it away? stop existing? Right, right. I don't think so. And everybody knows that. Yet they keep putting that argument out there like, 
Yeah, that's right. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it sounds like the the question, you know, if a tree falls in the woods and no one's around to hear it. It's exactly. You know, I, I, right, I, I, I brought that up many times in the past. It's the exact same thing. If a tree falls in the wood and there's nobody there to hear it, does it make a sound? Of course, I would say, yes, of course it does, because I believe in an objective reality that's independent of our observation. You know, if I'm not there to ma- uh, to hear it, doesn't mean it doesn't make a sound. But then yeah. you'll get another 50% of the people that will say, hey, if nobody was there to hear it, it didn't make a sound. Yeah. So so that yeah. amazes yeah. Or me. It's like, or it's just like, you know, that's just a, like it definitely made a sound because it's like, I didn't see you guys live your lives today, but. I know, I, you, I, I know you did. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, like. what, what's funny is, and, and I think not to get too far off the, the beaten path here, but, you know, one of the new, and it's been not new, it's been around for a while, but, you know, people are, are obsessed with this simulation, this simulation, the, the simulation theory where we're all simulation, simula- simulation, God rented lip anyway um obsessed with it you know what we're seeing isn't real when you mention that and you mention you know well, the tree falls in the wood if nobody's there people have this thing that well it's only there because i constructed on my mind and it's there for me if i'm not looking at that the program's doing something else over here does it does it baffle you that that is catching on as much as as it is on on that because it it seems like it's getting more and more prevalent, and I, I, I just, I don't, I don't see why. Yeah, it actually sort of makes sense to me from an intelligent design viewpoint. And now I'm going to pull information from near-death experiencers who, who basically agree with the idea of an intelligent design because God says it many times over to various people during their experience. But it is, it could be equated to a simulation in the mind of God, not a simulation in some supercomputer system somewhere. That's nonsense. Mm-hmm. But yeah, our, our universe was created by God, according to Father Rick Wendell, which is a guy I have on my blog and my website, and I have his video. And he says, all of this three-dimensional world is within God. It's kind of a simulation. There is nothing outside of God. Everything within this physical universe has to correspond to laws, and God set those laws. They are immutable as God is immutable. None of this, what we see and experience, is an accident. It is intentioned by God. And I say that many times in my book, uh, this is accomplished through the power of intention. So you could say, you know, I'm not going to, you know, protest about the whole simulation theory, but I would uh, do it using intelligent design, which would then upset the people who want to make it a a random simulation coming from where? Right. (laughs) Who's setting up the simulation? Aliens? Right. I I think it makes sense to me both ways, honestly, like uh, be it the mind of God or some supercomputer where people far in the future are modeling what happened to people in the past and we're just basically their sins you know what i mean either way it makes sense in my mind yeah yeah if it were truly an artificial simulation created by an advanced species there would be glitches like in the matrix you Mm -hmm. would see glitches and happening every now and then if the hardware uh, would there fail or something or there would be some kind of infinite loop in the 
inside of the programming or something. And, but we don't really see glitches. We don't see, you know, planets just popping into view and popping out of view and, and stuff like that. It's pretty consistent. Uh, I think the universe, like I said, it, it obeys the laws that were set up. And those laws are basically the this, this simulation in action. Uh, you know, gravity and the forces of electromagnetism and stuff, they're, they're consistent and, and they were set up by the creator. For this particular universe, there may be other universes where the laws of physics are different. And so there's a different experience. Uh, and if you want to get into that expanded notion, well, it goes on infinitely. And, and that, to me, I have very uncomfortable feelings about I had this dream the other night where all of a sudden I saw all the universes unfolding, you know, and there was grid works of all these points in space and all these universes. And I was aghast and, you know, I panicked. I said, Oh my God, I'm dead. I'm seeing. And then I, and my wife woke me up, shook me, woke me up because I was yelling because I was, uh, not yelling, but I was going, oh, because I just couldn't take in what I was seeing. And I was horrified. I thought I might have died. But I woke up and I was fine. <laughs> but the infinite is very difficult to comprehend. But that doesn't mean it's not there. It's not right. real. Right. And, and we're dealing with a, a, a being uh, who's eternal and infinite. So... <laughs> hard hard to wrap your mind around it. I mean, that's, it is um, hard to wrap your mind around it, but I'm yeah. very comfortable with the simulation idea in respect with to um, intelligent design. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's a very good way to express what's going on here. Right, right. Um, let's talk about your work a bit, if you don't mind, Mark. So again, you know, your book was fairly new last time we had you on. Uh, you know, and I've read it. Uh, I, I actually took me a couple times to thumb through it. Just go, wait, did I read that right? I'm going to go back. I'm going to read that uh, three pages again because I don't understand what slip wave means. I, um, I do the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I'm not. I'm not alone. Uh, how has it been regarded in the field? How ha, have there been any feedback? Uh, positive, negative? How does that look right now for you and and your work? Well, I'm getting from these shows, tremendous f- positive feedback. And, you know, I think about it, I try to analyze it, uh, why I'm getting all this positive feedback from, you know, the comments I'm getting and, and uh, websites and uh, emails I'm getting. And to me, it appears that once you understand the theory, it makes sense. And making sense of something is kind of a little bit like remembering as if you already knew it, and then you recognize it when you see it again and say, hey, that makes sense. So I'm thinking maybe for people who have open minds like you guys and your audience, this this is a good format for me to talk about this stuff. But, you know, I'm trying to penetrate into the, with my efforts now, into the scientific community. There are much more biased and they have their way of analyzing things and and that so far i haven't really made much of a dent there uh, but i haven't been able to get the exposure i wanted to uh, at this time so i'm still working on that uh, a little bit of uh, negative feedback there but nothing you know serious you know uh, it's hard because i'm um 
you know, I'm about to ha- make a, a speech to the APEC group, the anti-gravity group. Right. So there's some scientists there. They're very technical people. So I'm looking forward to seeing how they, uh, what they think of the presentation I've got ready for them. So hopefully within the next month or so, uh, I'll have accomplished that. So that's okay. And I'm going to propose some experiments. That's it's going to help things move along because if you can predict an experiment like anti gravity, how to create it, describe it, and, and do it, and it tests out positive, well, that's going to make some dents mm-hmm. in the uh, world of theoretical physics. So that's what I hope to do. It's a action plan I have. It's stuff I'm working on. You, you know, you're bound to try to get some open minds. You have to, you know, in, in a group like that, you know, and I, I think that's what's important by some of these new theories that people, like you said, 1905, this was tossed away and it took this many years, you know, for somebody like you to bring that back. Um, we're going to take a quick break, Mark, but when we come back, we'd like to actually talk about your paper and discuss the anti-gravity and discuss some of the other things that you're working on because it uh, it is pretty mind-blowing for the most part. And so if you want to bear with us, we're going to take a quick break and we will be back. Okay. Believe in UFOs? Felt that chill up your spine that you just can't explain? Contemplate the other side of reality? Do you shake your head at the world that seems to have lost its common sense? Well, look no further than Strange Uncles. Find them on all podcast platforms and call their hotline to tell your side of reality at 801-252-6945. Open the gates. All right, and we're back with Mark Florentino, uh, author of Master of Reality, and we are discussing just anything, <laughs> again, mind-blowing. I got John, Josh, all of us here, we're, we're just like, to wrap your mind around what, you know, the whole Einstein Unified Theory, slip wave you mentioned. Uh, you sent me a link earlier, and it's in regards to a paper that you had published. I believe August 14th, it looks like. Uh, it's a 52-page a paper. Um, can you elaborate on, on what this is? I mean, I, without going too much into detail, but really kind of curious about this this piece of work. Yeah, it's basically I've um, explained the model of how Gravity, inertia, and mass are created, which basically is from the same thing. Um, It's caused by, I have a definition here, gravity is caused by the accelerated motion of fundamental unbalanced charges. When charges move in this way, they cause the space in and around the particle to contract. Gravity is a contraction of the spatial medium. So in that paper... I prove it by uh, using a uh, math, uh, math that was like since Newton's time. And uh, it's called a moment of inertia type of equation. And so what I do is I solve for all the input parameters to that equation so I can solve for mass. And in that way, I can predict the mass of a neutron. And predicting the mass of a particle is kind of what you need to do if you're going to make a unified field theory that explains gravity. And so I successfully worked through um, solving that uh, set of equations that gives me all the inputs for the moment of inertia equation, which I transpose algebraically to solve purely for mass. 
and I solved for the mass of the quark, which I also had to correct because since <laughs> they have the wrong value for the mass of quarks inside of the neutron and proton, I said, look, they're really this mass. This is the mass I'm going to solve for. And when I do that, uh, it's basically one third. Each quark is one third the mass of the neutron or the proton. You'll just add those three in the end, and you'll get the exact mass of the neutron, which is what worked out because I was able to properly predict the real mass of the quarks. So, and I have to explain all of that and how this works. It's mechanical, and so this thing that I call the signature of God. This right here, mm -hmm. I turn it on, uh, is what the quarks are doing inside of the neutron and proton. So I kind of described that, except I use spinning disks. I do an approximation saying the, the three quarks are spinning disks, equivalents. And so they're, they're moving around in here inside of the, the – and that type of motion is accelerated motion. That's why I'm very precise in my uh, description. I've linked acceleration to gravity. Why is this important? Who first thought of this? Einstein, the, the, um, what, what he called the equivalence principle. He said, hey, acceleration has something to do with gravity. I don't know how to describe it mechanically, but they're the same thing. And, and even Newton noticed that acceleration has something to do with mass. Force equals mass times acceleration. So there's a pattern in nature, a pattern in mathematics. And so I decided to determine what that, how acceleration simulates gravity. And it's through this accelerating motion of these particles, this type of motion, this circular motion, a lot of people don't realize that's accelerated motion. By going a straight line at a constant rate of speed, that's not accelerated motion. And the one particle that does that, and, and it doesn't generate mass, is the photon. It always goes at a constant rate of speed in a straight line. So it doesn't generate any mass. When I came to that realization, that's when I developed this, this new model. I said, that explains why the photons don't have mass. It's their structure. They're a balanced charge. All the other charges are unbalanced charges, which makes them curl around when they move in space. They have angular momentum. And that's what generates the, the gravitational field and mass, even inertia. You know when you accelerate in a car mm -hmm. and you feel yourself getting pulled back in the right. seat? That's the act of all the particles contracting in the direction of motion uh, that you're moving in. And as they contract, that's what you feel as inertia. So in each case... It's always linked back to an accelerated motion of particles that have mass through the process I just showed you, their so-called rest mass. Mm -hmm. Now, they'll experience the inertia thing when they're also forced to move straight forward, like in an object like a baseball or something, when you throw it. It acquires inertia, and, and it stores it in its contraction of space within all of those particles. It's getting a little complicated now, but <laughs> <laughs> that's how the, the universe now? works, according <laughs> to my theory. So, you know, it's hard to dodge the, the, the increase in, in complication because you're 
You're dealing with every, each and every little particle inside of any macroscopic object. And, you know, they're being affected as they move through the ether, which they are consubstantial with, mm-hmm. meaning they're made of the thing they're moving through. They're a part of it. Particles are nothing but configurations of space. And so I go into my book about describing what particles are, vortexes, and, mm-hmm. and their structure and how it affects their motion. So I've got a quick question. I'm probably wrong because I usually am. I make three mistakes before I get up in the morning. But you mentioned um, acceleration. It, it sounds like we actually have the definition of acceleration wrong. Is that what I'm getting or is that yeah, when you talk about that? It's inc- it was incomplete i mean it's not wrong in the sense that you know if you move like this this is accelerate Mm -hmm. it's a type it's a type of changing of direction is an acceleration or even if you're changing you're changing your velocity in this Mm -hmm. straightforward direction that's acceleration so i think they've got it right they just didn't know what it what it was affecting by doing this, limited, and it's that yeah. when you accelerate, you cause a contraction. And, and where did I get that idea from? I got that idea from Einstein, who noticed something that a, a uh, another professor, uh, Ehrenfest, uh, noticed about. He he did a little mind experiment with um, um, uh, with special relativity, and I could read you the little excerpt. Because Einstein picks up on this Ehrenfest paradox and he says, holy crap, <laughs> this is it. This is how particles, he never really comes out and say, because he's keeping it secret because he wants to solve it first. So he doesn't come out and say, oh, this is how particles generate mass. But basically, you know, what's called Einstein's happiest thought is Einstein followed the line of reasoning that began with the happiest thought of his life. Still at the Swiss patent office, he conducted one of his famous thought experiments. Einstein imagined a circle spinning in space. The center of the circle did not move, but its circumference was moving quickly in a circular direction. Einstein, this is acceleration, Einstein compared what happens in several reference frames, a standard tool that he used in developing the special relativity theory. He concluded using his special relativity that the boundary of the disk contracted as it spun. So there's the Lorentz transformation of contraction that's kicking in here. And he's saying all the little sticks, if you put sticks around that circle and you started spinning them, they would start to contract as the things spun faster and faster as it was accelerating. Instead of pulling That's apart. the idea. Yeah. That's the idea that that's what I'm saying that particles are doing. That same thing is happening. So the space is contracting around the particles as they accelerate. A contraction of space is what gravity is. It's a contraction of space. So so that brings me to another thing. And this is one of your talking points, Mark. Um, when you talk about the contraction, your idea about evidence that the universe actually is not expanding, but it's actually collapsing. Right. It Now, is that that plays with the same same theory, the same principle that, that you're discussing about how things move? Yeah, because, um, well, the whole Hubble theory about the expanding universe, I, I think, should have been more closely examined. There is a deep flaw in the whole concept to, from the start. 
uh, Hubble assumed for some reason because of early measurements that it looked like, hey, if I look at a galaxy over here at a certain distance, it's accelerating away from us at a certain rate. Now, if I go farther out and I look again, that one seems to be accelerating even more away, faster away from us. And if I go out farther, it's even more. So then all of a sudden I says, okay, I'm going to make the Earth the center of the universe. Alarms should have went off in their heads when he said that. Okay, look, come on. The Earth is not the center of the universe. You, you should know that. Yeah. So what are the odds of this theory actually being right? So anyway, I think he kind of cherry-picked them, and then the guys in 98, the astronomers kind of followed suit to try and confirm the theory. But, you know, it was a limited number of measurements. And if you really start looking around the universe, you'll find that, yeah, there's some, you know, that rule is kind of generally true, but what's the cause of why are they accelerating as you go farther and farther out? I basically said, because, all right, you know what? The only thing that causes acceleration is gravity. So let's stop imagining that the universe is just magically expanding and say, well, let's look ahead to where they're going and see if they're going towards something. And sure enough, there's astronomers that did that. I put that in my book. I put their observations. And they've noticed that, like, in our galactic group, the Lanakia group, I hope I said that right, um, which is composed of several hundred galaxies. We're not moving away from each other. We're all moving toward each other. Well, mm. where's the Hubble theory there? How come we're not expanding? How come all these galaxies near us are actually Andromeda, Milky Way, they're going to collide eventually. But if you look at where they're going, they're being pulled towards something called the Great Attractor. This is already known. Hubble missed this. Mm. <laughs> and, and the great attractor is one really big black hole so if you want to know where it is if you can go where you could see the milky way galaxy at night you know I mean, you know away from light pollution and everything and you look straight through it to the other side that's where we're going right now and we're going there at approximately 1.3 million miles an hour and it's accelerating <laughs> what causes acceleration gravity not expanding space. So the whole thing is, oh, it's so wrong. Man, and I <laughs> thought this summer was bad, but then you just laid that on us, and it doesn't sound like there's going to be a good outcome here. <laughs> so what's that huh. look like? If we're looking at, at collapse and, and you know, your rate and whatever have you, I, I mean, <laughs> what what's the – I don't want to say endgame, I guess, but, but when do we – It is an endgame. Yeah, I mean, there's got to be. Right, if that's the thing. Well, not only is it we're going toward the great attractor, so this thing is literally thousands of light years across. It's a big black hole. So we're just going to get absorbed into it. So as we get closer and closer, these are the things that are going to happen. The speed of light is slowing down. Now, in my book, I found the guy who made who, who analyzed the data of the speed of light over the last 300 years or so. And he found that it was slowing down gradually over time. Hmm. So this backs up what I'm saying. If you go, if you increase the strength of a gravitational field, the closer you get as you're being pulled into it, the light is, speed of light is going to slow down. And that's exactly what we've seen. But the physicists have covered that up. They really? reject. 
Yeah, Barry Satterfield's work, they're, they're rejecting you, even though they couldn't find anything wrong with it. The statistical data clearly shows, for some strange reason, even when you use the same equipment a few years later, there's slight drops in the speed of light, and it continues to happen over time. But back in the 1940s, this guy named Raymond Burge, who was the head of the, um, the he was the arbiter of the constants, the universal constants, says, hey, this is bull. Every time, every few years, you're giving me a different number for the speed of light. I'm trying to declare this as a constant, and every time we measure it, it's different. So we're going to stop. And he wrote a paper basically saying this paper is being written on request, and at this time uh, at the, of this request, a belief in a significant variability in the constants of nature is fatal to the spirit of science. <laughs> yeah, of course. believe it or not, as we understand it. These words from this man, for whatever reason he wrote them, shut down the debate on the speed of light. And this is back in the 40s. So he declared, he did just declared it a number and, and nobody's no. bothered opening it up back up again and going well wait a minute no it's gotten worse now reading on Kior from a scientist who, uh, who measures the speed of light he says we don't measure the speed of light anymore what we do is we're given this number we tune the equipment to get that number and once we get that number we basically you're shortening the length to get that number which would be a meter. So now it's a little less than a meter because you want to get the number he's declared back in 1940. And then when you get it, then you start measuring the speed of light. Well, it's invalid because you keep adjusting the equipment to get that number. But are they measuring the meter to see that it's shortening? No. <laughs> they just say, "I we do this according to the laws that we've been taught in school and and so it's covered up. They're, they're but literally, the speed of light is slowing down. They're rigging the experiment, and they don't even know it. You know? Well, they know, they, know and they don't apologize for it. Ah. <laughs> they say, hey, it's not in the spirit of good science. They're, they've been blinded by their own presuppositions, mm -hmm. and they don't care. They don't want to rock this boat because if the speed of light's changing, then permittivity is changing, permeability, all the constants. That's what he's saying right here. If you, you believe this one's changing, then all the others are changing. Now, how do we compute stuff? And nobody What's wants to go back because now they got to reinvent everything. Now, where's that lead well, you? It's because the ether itself is contracting as we move toward the black hole. The contraction of space is the gravitational field. And every day we get a little closer, so the gravitational field is getting a little stronger. And it's a common known fact, although you can get physicists to get confused and argue about this, but the speed of light does slow down in a gravitational field. So it's not really constant, right? It slows down when it goes in water. It slows down even more when it goes in glass. <laughs> it slows down in air. And it has a certain rate in space. But if that space density is increasing, then it's going to slow down there. And that's exactly what we see when we shoot a beam of light through a gravitational field. It, it looks like it's slowing down because the density is greater and it takes more time to traverse a distance because there's more stuff between those two points. Mm -hmm. So it's really not slowing down, but it is taking longer to get from point A to point B in a gravitational field, according 
to my theory. And that experiment seems to verify that. So it makes sense that since we're heading toward a gigantic black hole, which, by the way, is heading toward an even bigger one, the Great Attractor, it's getting pulled into an even bigger one. I, so, <laughs> so I was going to actually ask you about that. But just out of curiosity, is that your number one peeve with, with this is, is the history of things have just, nope, this is what it is, and nobody has bothered to correct that? Is, that's got to be frustrating. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I try not to get too upset about it or anything, but I'm trying to think, how can I get these people to open their eyes and their minds and not offend them or upset them or or, or whatever the case may be? I just want, hey, look at this, Dad. It stopped discounting. When they don't get something they agree on, they say there's something wrong with the equipment. Because uh, I could give you an example of that. The, I looked, I says, look, if my theory is right and I can use a magnetic field to create anti-gravity that causes it to stretch space, theoretically, if I shoot a light beam through a magnetic field, it'll go faster, slightly faster. And there is an experiment that does that. It's called a birefringence experiment. And so what did I do? I, I, I contacted these guys. I read about it. I studied about it, the history of it. And uh, sure enough, in the history, there was a group that was measuring the birefringence of uh, spe- uh, speed of light, which means there's two. When light hits a magnetic field, let's say in a vacuum, it actually splits into two beams. Uh, one is called the ordinary wave and the other is the extraordinary wave. Normally, uh, the extraordinary wave is a little longer path and it takes a little longer to get there. If you get a negative number, something has gone wrong. I mean, it's saying that ooh, the speed of light it was accelerated by going into something. And, and, and one of those groups said, hey, we're doing this. Quantum mechanics says this is going to slow down, but it's not slowing down. Matter of fact, it's speeding up. We're getting a negative birefringence number here. And so they lost their confidence and refused to publish the paper because they were afraid that there was something wrong with the equipment. And they've tried and they've tried this experiment for over 50 years and it never confirms. Not once has it confirmed that speed of light slows down in a magnetic field. Now, I went to, to the French guys that are doing it. They did the experiment. Their report was... It failed to confirm the speed of light the prediction by quantum mechanics. That's all they'll say. Well, if it's not slowing down, then either it went the same speed or went faster. What is it? I wrote them. And they refused to answer. <laughs> you know why? Because they'll get fired. Yeah. Because anytime you talk about the speed yeah. of light not being constant, you're going to get in trouble. Well, I think that's with any, anything in, in that people don't want to jeopardize their reputation, number one. And number two, you know, they don't want to jeopardize their past research and, and then have to kind of, you know, eat cake. And and it's kind of sad because, you know, between the two, uh, it, it really leads you down a road where, you know, it, it was anything is anything accurate when it comes to any kind of scientific field, you know? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty disappointed, but, you know, I'm the lone wolf running on the prairie here trying to say, hey, this is wrong, that's wrong, I'm sorry, I don't mean to offend you, but if you really look at the evidence closely and you, and you stop discounting it based on, you know, presuppositions, 
there's a lot of mistakes in this. And if we clear up these mistakes, we'll progress. We'll uh, discover the unified field theory and we'll discover anti-gravity, which is the main thrust of what I'm trying to do is to get anti-gravity on board into the mainstream of life so that we could benefit from the, the many technologies that can be built and it'll give us safety so that we can um, go to other planets in real time quickly. Mm-hmm. And if we have to leave this planet because of some catastrophe, we'll be able to do it. Everybody, not you know, just a few that get left behind. Um, Jeff Bezos. Everybody. Yeah. Not the, not the rich and the famous, but you know, everybody. Right. You know, or yeah. the politicians, God forbid. Right. Right. And, and um, that's all we need. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, politicians and scientists, you know, rubbing right. each other's back on some distant <laughs> desert planet. Yeah, yeah. Not my idea of utopia. Sure, sure. Um, guys, I don't know. I kind of wanted to ask Mark about uh, to get a little bit more into anti-gravity because I feel like we didn't really discuss it much on the on the first time we had him on. And I, and I think you've got some, some new research in regards to that, correct? Or... Well, pretty much from the book, uh, I'm just actually now just making the case for anti-gravity, you know, how it works with ether theory and the theory of super relativity. Basically, anti-gravity is the opposite of what gravity would be. If you understand gravity, that's why I went through the whole process of defining and explaining gravity. You'll, of course, naturally, within minutes, understand anti-gravity because if gravity is a contraction of space, What's anti-gravity? Expansion. That's it. Yeah. It's not hard. See that? And it makes sense. There you go. It makes sense again. So how do you get space to expand? I looked at the primary forces, and I, there's two ways, actually, with an electrostatic field. But electrostatic fields are hard to control. They cause ionization, you know, thunderbolts. Not a good way to – not a good system to use, although the anti-gravitics of um, – Thomas Brown uh, uses that technique, uh, but it's not the best technique. The other technique is magnetism, because magnetism uh, occurs whenever charge moves, like an electron. Uh, all, All particles are charges. And when an electron moves in a specific way, more or less a straight line in a wire, following an electrostatic field, it'll move in that kind of direction. It's not really accelerating. It's moving in a straight line, and as it moves, an electronic, uh, electrostatic charge is really a twist of space, a vortex. And they knew this back in Maxwell's time, you know, heavy side, all those guys, all were working on vortex theory. Because there's only so many ways you can bend and stretch the ether. And a spiral shape, a vortex shape, uh, turned out to be one of the ways. So you could either do it clockwise or counterclockwise. And those correspond to positive and negative charges. And we already know that, you know, one charge is clockwise and the other charge is counterclockwise. It's established. Mm-hmm. So if, if you know that you have a way of creating a magnetic field, we do that by running electrons through a wire. If you have a superconducting wire, then you can run a lot of electrons through without a lot of loss. Uh, almost no loss at all, and you get an intense magnetic field. And a magnetic field happens as a charge moves space. The charge is a twist. It's going like this. 
as it goes, it's, you would say would be spinning. It would kind of look like that, right? Space is rotating around in reaction to the spinning charge as it goes. So that's the magnetic field. And that was established by Michael Faraday and James Clerk Maxwell way back in the 1700s. Okay, we know that for sure is a fact. So I'm not adding anything new here. I'm just saying, hey, pay attention to what these guys discovered because it makes sense in the overall theory. How, how long yeah. ago? That amazes me that long ago, and it just is still a, you know, still. Yeah, I mean, thing. that's all, they, they, you know, old-timey science. Oh, we don't care about that anymore. It's nice. It works. But, but you know, we want to count particles in an accelerator and see what we can get today. It's not relevant work. Uh, the work of Faraday and Maxwell is very relevant today. And it, it always will be because it's on the threshold of the dream of the unified field theory. So if you want to create anti-gravity, you've got to cause space to stretch, and a magnetic field does that. As it rotates, that space stretches in correspondence to that rotation. Mm -hmm. And so the more, the bigger the magnetic field, and the more you move it, uh, it's an acceleration of force. You can create the opposite effect of gravity. You can cause space to stretch apart and... Uh, in addition to doing that, you use the magnetic field that's basically creating a bubble around your spaceship, which I call the slip wave. It's a gradient field uh, where you have a strong field at the beginning of the ship and a super strong field at the end of the ship. And it's like a bubble in water. It gets pushed up from the density of space. So like a bubble in water, it's getting actually pushed up from the bottom. Because the, the, the denser uh, um, water is at the mm -hmm. bottom of the ocean. Mm -hmm. and, and so the pressure is greater. You know this. This is a common, well-known fact. The pressure at the bottom of the ocean is greater. So it's pushing up on the less dense bubble, pushing it through space, uh, through the water. So it's the same thing with particles. They have a drop in density, and the space actually bulges at the back of the particle. And so it's shot, slipped through space forward at ridiculously high rates of speed because space, the quasi-elastic solid, is a high-tension object. So we know that because the speed of light is so fast. Like a string, you, you turn a string on a guitar and you make it tighter and tighter, the frequency goes up and up. Mm -hmm. Tension. This is stresses and tension of the ether. This is old-timey stuff that's been ignored and abandoned, but it's time for it to come back because it all makes sense and it can be used to explain the motion of particles. And so that's how I got the discovery of slip wave, which then led to, hey, we could do this with a spaceship. And the other benefit, very important benefit, is a magnetic field will reduce permittivity and permeability. And why is that important? Because permittivity and permeability are two types of properties of space. So space has properties. Since space has properties, it means space is a real thing. Mm -hmm. If it were made of nothing, like many physicists believe, another problem I have to overcome, <laughs> it would, those properties would have zero value. But you never measure that. Even in the deepest part of space, it has permittivity, which is basically the electrostatic field, uh, um, not, the, not induction, uh, impedance and the mm -hmm. permeability is basically the magnetic field impedance of space 
And they were determined by James Clerk Maxwell, who used a similar technique to solving the speed of sound in the air. Well, he kind of did the same trick with the speed of light in the ether. And so speed of light, C, equals, equals 1 over the square root of permittivity times permeability. So why am I talking so much about this? Because they have certain numbers, and if we could reduce those two numbers, look at where they are in the equation, as they approach zero, the speed of light increases exponentially. So if we can reduce permittivity and permeability by using a magnetic field, Mm -hmm. and we use that magnetic field to cancel gravity, stretch space, reduces permittivity and permeability, now you can break the light speed barrier. And not just by a little bit. You could break it by tens of thousands of times, millions of times. And if you reduce permittivity and permeability to zero, you could travel infinitely fast, which I don't recommend. <laughs> now, without a suit tie, anyway. You will be lost in an instant. You'll be out of yeah. the galaxy. You'll be out of the universe. And you're not going to find your way back. So you have to control how much magnetism you, and you use to create the slip wave around your spacecraft because you don't want to reduce it too much. You want to go maybe 50 to 100,000 times the speed of light so you can get to a star easily, quickly, within 15 or 20 minutes, like Proxima Centauri. Hmm. That's an easy trick. And you don't want to be going that fast for long periods of time, like the speed of light, just going the speed of light would take you 4.2 years to get there. It's incredibly dangerous because if you lose the field while you're moving that fast, you will be destroyed in an instant. You will be crushed. All the Lorenz transformations will kick in. You will be compressed to a flat pancake. Your mass will increase near infinity. You become a little black hole spaceship drifting through space for eternity. So you don't want to drop the, the slip wave field while you're moving beyond the speed of light. Note to so self. Note to self. Yeah, it's vitally important that you get to where you're going in a hurry. So you got to go many, many times the speed of light. And apparently our friends, the ETs, have succeeded in doing this because how else are they getting here? They're not using rocket ships. They're not using cars, trains, buses. <laughs> They're using something that moves well, well beyond the speed of light. And I'm describing the way that it's accomplished mechanically. And that's, you know, I'm going to get to the point where I describe an experiment that proves magnetism is the way to create an anti-gravity field. Intense, very intense, strong magnetic fields. Hmm. Um, you mentioned something real there that, that caught our ears a little bit because we've had some recent updates when it comes to our friends What's your viewpoints on that as far, or really do you have any as far as uh, the, UAP, the UAP disclosure, you know, what, what the Navy's seen, you know, what uh, certain people on the Capitol are trying to push out, trying to make prevalent and known. Uh, wh- where does that all fit into your little world at, just out of curiosity? Yeah, yeah George Norrie and I were talking about that on Coast to Coast, and we agreed. I said to him, they're going to say, yeah. There's something out there, but we don't know what it is. Yeah. That's all they did. And here we are. That's all they did. Yeah. That's, that's all they did. They says, and, and that was so predictable because they're saying, well, they lie about there's nothing out there. It's Venus. It's swamp gas. It's not holding any water anymore. We're going to have to come up with something new. 
So the new was, okay, we'll acknowledge, yeah, yeah, it's on radar, son of a gun. You can't deny that. It's on our radar. Uh, uh, but it, we just don't know what it is. Of course, now that's the new lie. Of course right. they know what it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed completely with that. I just, you know, we, we ask our guests that are involved in any kind of field or, or just that same question. It's always the same thing. Yeah. You know, nothing really was, you know, we're still doing what we're doing. So, you know. Well, there needs to be a new authority. The government obviously can't be trusted to tell the truth especially when it comes to this, because they're protecting their uh, strategic military advantage. He who has the, the ships that can fly circles quite literally around our best jets and rockets, they own the skies. So they're going to try to keep that a secret for as long as they can. And so will any other government that discovers anti-gravity says, well, we get, this is our ace in the hole card. You know, Great. somebody attacks us, well, we'll just launch these and, That'll be that, you know, we'll okay. win the battle every time unless both sides have them, then it gets a little tricky. But um, so yeah. I don't expect any changes there. But if some new authority were to rise from the ashes and, and establish themselves as the, the credible authority through the media and so forth, maybe we could just bypass the government and say, OK, you know, they're not going to tell the truth. Let's not bother them anymore. Let's just go out on our own, discover the anti-gravity start building the ships and then, you know, they can deny all they want. Uh, hey, we got them when we're using and it's, guess what? Yeah. You know, we know they exist. So yeah. cut the crap. And, right. and then we could go to other planets on our own. We don't need NASA. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> we, hey, we get in our supercar, you know, calibrated for, you know, the nearest star and phew, 15 minutes we're there or, you know, any, you know, any of these guys, these entrepreneurs, uh, the Amazon guys or uh, Tesla, you know, all those guys, they could build these ships in mass and then we'll have buses and planes and cars capable of breaking the light speed barrier. Although most of them, I'm sure, won't. It'll be terrestrial craft, which, you know, local travel between here and the moon and whatever right. could be done within minutes. You know, right. I, mean, I just could- want to get to South Carolina and in a minute or two. You know? So simple. Uh, in my book, <laughs> I want to get to much. Tahiti. That's yeah, what I want. Yeah. There you yeah. go. I want to get to Tahiti in 10 minutes, not two days. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's the place I want to go. And I, and I describe, with this thing, you can get there in five or 10 minutes, have a picnic lunch, enjoy the day, get back at three or four in the afternoon, take a nap, and have a great day. And it's a freedom that's unknown in this time. I mean, it's, yeah. so, to be able to do that is be wonderful. The only question I got, and I, John, Josh, I don't know if you have any follow-up questions, but I, I guess with, with that being said, you kind of led into it a bit. What's your hopes now? You know, you, you're where you're at, your book, your publishing, so you just had this paper out, you know, re- very, very recently. Um, do, you, do you see any any of this coming to fruition in, in your lifetime and working towards this? Is this – what, what, what's your hopes on all this? My goal is to bring anti-gravity into this world. My goal also is to re- unite religion and science. Uh, since science is going to be found that comes from uh, a spiritual source, to leave that source out and bury our heads in the sand and say science is independent, random thing that you know, has this, uh, a magical set of rules that comes from out of nowhere is not going to be the case. 
science and religion should be as one again. And uh, Einstein once said, science without religion is lame. Religion without science is blind. So they need to work together again. So I'm, I'm working on that, uh, working on the intelligent design theory, bringing anti-gravity into this world, and establishing the unified field theory solution, which I just uploaded in that paper. Mm-hmm. So those are you know my goals. Uh, I'm on the adventure. I have no idea if I'm going to pull any of this off. I know all I can do is try, be on shows like this, have the discussions, hopefully eventually get on to, you know, like shows like Star Talk or whatever and get into the scientific community, start the discussion, start talking about my theory, say, hey, this seems to make sense. I can't really refute this based mm-hmm. on the math. There's no error there. The logic seems pretty solid. If the ether really does exist, we've made some big mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. if that's going to happen, I have no idea. I mean, yeah. all I can do is accept the fact that I'm on this adventure and try my very best to make some good things happen so that we have a better world. We're hoping for the best for you, for sure. I, I mean, like I said, you've got our buy-in definitely because you know this world needs something and um positivity is is definitely in the in the forefront of it and i think all your research that you're doing uh is, is absolutely positive and moving forward as just as as a society and a civilization you know it, it's important to have uh, mark it's been great having you on the show again you know check out his book everybody master of reality um, really looking forward to this uh paper and where that leads please keep us in the know with that you know let us know how your your talk goes um you know we'll try to kind of touch bases as far as you know your input on the paper uh you know if there's any minds changed uh just we're hoping for the best for this i, I hope there's some eyes that are open and some minds that get open at the same time and uh and just thank you so much for your time mark I, as always it's a pleasure uh, you're welcome. I'm happy to be here. It was another good time. We got we covered a lot of stuff. It was a it's a great show. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Mark, for coming on. Absolutely, um, very interesting stuff. Uh, I'm I'm pretty sure I said this on the last time, but uh, we need to get you some funding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. yeah. The only thing I would spend it on is is travel to visit shows or doing the experiment, which means the guys at that anti-gravity place, Mm -hmm. uh, I would give them some money to do this experiment that I'm describing exactly the way I'm describing it. Yep. And uh, it's very similar to the Poklinoff and the Ling knee experiments. Yeah. Ling knee. Uh, I think (laughs) I always get them (laughs) watched up. Um, And, um, that that's where I would probably put my money at this yeah. point. If I ever got sure. any, I just, I've tried to do some experiments really mainly with perpetual motion, but because we need a power source to power the UFO and somehow the alien people have solved that problem. Yeah, and I'm it. not sure how they did that. Mm-hmm. So right. I'm always yeah, looking around trying to figure that out. Yeah. I guess my only, I, I, I love like kind of your plans and everything. The only thing I would be like hesitant of is combining science and religion just because, or, and, and maybe this is semantics with the words, but like science and spirituality. Sure. But just with the religion doesn't have a very good yeah. track record, well, the, I, history, I the, mean, the, the history. So I, like, I wouldn't want, you know, the Pope being like, or, you know, whoever like religion, <laughs> like likes to stamp out uh, science and keep what they know 
down, you know. And well, that was the way they did it in the past. But yeah, yeah. maybe religion isn't the right word, spirituality, but uh, yeah. it's definitely God, intelligent design, because that's the way it, it really is. In the end, in the when you die and you go, all this, all these questions are answered, and you can see, oh yeah, God did create the universe. Maybe not like it's said in the, the Bible, in the Old Testament, but he actually really did create the universe. Yeah. And it, it's just not right to ignore a truth because it doesn't fit, you know, our thinking. Mm-hmm. We just have to figure out a way to make these two things work together because they are together. Yeah. Co- well, I certainly hope somehow. so, for sure. Yeah. I'm definitely open to the possibility. Yep. Open to anything positive, for sure, for sure. So, mm-hmm. awesome. Um, well, if you guys don't got anything, Mark, again, thank you for your time. I know it's late uh, where you're at. Uh, yeah, thank you so much, and uh, can't wait to have you on again. All right. Absolutely. Oh, oh. Yes. one more thing. Yeah. Got a new book I'm working on. Nice. Oh, cool. Yeah, we didn't even ask you what. Yeah, yeah. about yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> When's that uh, due it's out? It's a prequel to this book. It's going to explain all the strange spiritual things that happened that guided me to writing this book, basically. Oh. It's a, kind of a life story. With all, I had many strange spiritual encounters and, and predictions and stuff like that that are – surrounding this story of the creation of this book Mm -hmm. uh, with a big surprise ending. So certainly when that's done, I can come back on. We could talk about that. Absolutely. And uh, just, just so our listeners know your, your last book is called master of reality, super relativity, the unified field theory. And yeah, just so everybody can go pick that up. Is there a good way to buy your last book? Yeah. www super-relativity.com and you could buy it from my website which I prefer Okay. Uh, if not you can get it from Amazon you can get a cheaper version on the Kindle uh, which I, I like a lot I like because I could mark stuff put notes on it and everything it's a really nifty medium to, for studying and researching mm-hmm. so uh, those are the ways you can get it right now cool fantastic awesome. Oh, well, yeah, awesome. thank you so much for uh for enlightening us and making us all smarter. All right. <laughs> the trick now is retaining. That's that's yeah. plan that's the the second half of this whole game. So, anyway. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mark. Uh can't wait to see you again. Appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye. Talk to you later. Yeah, you know, always amazing with this thing. Uh, and hopefully I didn't overstep bounds a little bit. I did want to ask him because obviously, you know, we have guests on the show, especially ones that are passionate he is and his ambition and all the work he's done because, you know, this isn't – he's not a lazy man by any stretch of imagination. But I was curious when he mentioned, uh, you know, our friends and where he stood in that corral, you know, with that whole thing. And, you know, he answered the question very fair. I, I think uh, I think he's absolutely right. You know, yeah, this is what they released. And so hopefully that didn't throw things too too far off par. But I don't know, overall, man, like we were saying in the beginning, I, I just I 
can he, if can we get some backing? Can we get somebody that has some knowledge, has some expertise, has some doctors behind him to just really look at his work? He's talking at a, a couple places, it sounds like, and so maybe I don't know. Maybe we'll get that. You know? Yeah, I mean the the thing that I was thinking about saying at, at the beginning that I I wanted to wait to say until now was basically like he's not a a doctor physicist but he's he was what an engineer or something right like he's mm-hmm. not a complete layman either right yeah he you worked know? for ibm yeah um the dude is smart as he's shit. smart he understands math he gets it he understands yeah. the science he's it's not like if you or i was like well i think this is all bullshit well, everything. yeah like yeah <laughs> you know? like it's right. he he's very math and science oriented like honestly i'm gonna be honest sometimes he'd be talking about like, Man, I don't know the fuck you're talking about. Oh, dude, I'll tell you what I said. Like, <laughs> like it sounds cool, but like, but that's the thing is like science at one point, every piece of science that we know now was fringe, right? Like at one point, the good stuff was for sure, right? Yeah, yeah. like everything yeah. was fringe, like Galileo, like he was fucking how like on house arrest and stuff. And like, turns out, and none of the scientists want to look through his telescope. Like Avi Loeb says, like, yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's just like, and I'm not a scientist. I'm not a mathematician. I'm a, I can do adding and subtracting, but like, you know, it would be cool with an open-minded scientist to be like, all right, this is what I think the speed of light is. And these are the laws that I think I know are laws, but if it is called a theory as well, like, Mm -hmm. okay, if this is a theory, let's, let's step out of the box and just entertain it. Yeah, when it's a, not that hard. When a theory is widely accepted for a very long time, it takes on the a- appearance of a law, right? Yeah. Even and though because because it and honestly because it be. makes a lot of sense and it's like okay, well that checks out, that checks out, that check. Okay, sure, you know it's not just some like crazy cockamamie theory, but I don't know. It would just be nice to like get some physicists to do his math, it, like it with zero agenda, with zero agenda. Yeah, just yeah. oh, this is interesting. I wonder right. if it checks out. Right. No, yeah. Nobody, you know, you're you're not worried about you know your reputation, anything, and and I think that's the one takeoff. It and it happened last time we had him on too. It is so frustrating to whether or not his theories are right, whether or not he has things in line, and this is accurate. Knowing that there's always pushback from the community because of you know I, I will not call bullshit on the experiments we was talking about where Einstein was going things that were given up in 1940 and now this is it because mm-hmm. it, it it's, like the ether and stuff yeah, that he was talking about yeah I yeah. was like God how frustrating is that because this is the this is a hill you're climbing with all the other scientists that are proposed scientists that that's you know they're not on the same page and they just put blinders on they're going this direction. I, I just yeah. don't, I, I just don't get that. That's what's frustrating, you know? So, yeah, it, it, it's so funny that science is so close minded. Yeah. yeah. Ironic. <laughs> I, I yeah, think it's, it's very just, ironic. Don't you, you get think? set in your ways and you accept the things that other people have quote unquote proven as fact or as law and you don't ever challenge them and you don't ever. So, so all of your experimentation, if you're even doing that at, anymore at this point, is based off of the assumption that everything that came before you is correct. Yeah. And that right. they didn't leave anything out that might change things, you know? Yeah. But is yeah. that, are you being a true scientist at that point? If you're picking up from where somebody left off and you're just going, because at that point, well, yeah, your work at, you know, I mean, if it's been proven, if it's like literally just been proven and time after time you do this study or you do this experiment and you get the same, same results constantly, like same result, same result, same result. All right. 
Yeah, but what if but it's like always speed of light? I didn't know that the speed of light would slow down in water or this or that. So, like, technically, it does change speed. I mean, I don't know. I have any type of grasp on the speed of light or <laughs> right, anything right. along that way. So, like, yeah. I have no business even talking about it. But I'm just saying, like, you know, at some point, all these ideas were crazy. And it takes somebody like, you know, f- figuring something out to like completely like revolutionize everything, you know, yeah. like I am so hoping that he is like you mentioned Galileo earlier. I'm so hoping that he turns out to be this, you know, wild rose in the desert that just he stumbled on it and it becomes something and it is something. And, you know, because like you said, this is how things get discovered. You know, people thought Einstein was a kook from the beginning, you know, God, he didn't graduate high school. You know, mm-hmm. and now look at where he's at, you know, as far as history goes. But you know, actually, that was a that's a miss. Uh, Einstein was literally a genius. Oh, he was a like, genius. Absolutely. He, and he was great. He excelled in school, actually. I mean, like, he, he never graduated. Really I think that was true, though, wasn't it? He never like, actually he graduated, was, graduated. He was like, I don't know if he like got a diploma, but like he he was like killing it in school. Like he did amazing in school. And that's like a weird, like those pass it on things. Like Einstein wasn't actually a genius in school. It's like, no, he oh, fucking was. Yeah, he was. He was. Yeah, actually. What is that Ghostbusters? It's like pass uh, it on. You know, it's well, like, no, that's like, that's a weird thing. Like a myth of Einstein that he like wasn't smart in school or something. It's like, no, he's a fucking genius. Right. And what is that Bill Murray? Einstein did his best work as a patent clerk. <laughs> it's a fucking, I, you know, <laughs> but it's, I don't know, you know, but it's, I really hope for the best for Mark. I really do. And, you know, if nothing yeah, else, too. his ambition, you know, he's got his ambition there. He's got his ethics in place. Um, and you know what? And I appreciate both of you guys, actually. So, Josh, you know, we talked about simulation. I still can't say that word, and I don't know why. Simulation. I said it like t- two hours ago, and for some reason, anyway. that You and Dan Cummins are both from, like, the Pacific. I know. Like, Coeur d'Alene, Spokane. And none, both of you can't talk. <laughs> I wonder if it's a symptom of Spokane, Coeur d'Alene people. Maybe it's in the water. I don't know. It must you know, be. Could be in the water. But it's the same <laughs> thing. And John, you brought up uh, religion and science, you know, and both are very valid points. You know, yeah. You know, I, I that's not you know, what we're hoping. And he did kind of look at that science religion aspect. And maybe it is spirituality because there is something to that. And I think it would be dangerous if science and religion, as we stand currently, was put together. Because well, one in history, science out. In history, religion did control science. And Absolutely. Look at how, yeah. well, yep. look at how well, well in, in and, history, and that's why, religion and then, controlled everything and it did not go well. It didn't work out. Yeah. But like, yeah. that's why I said, like, maybe this is semantics. Like you're saying religion, but you're not actually meaning the papacy or whatever the hell. You no. Right. I, I like, think he's, I think he's more, more meaning like intelligent design, spirituality. Like, yeah. But, Cause he not, was like, you know, it might not necessarily be the Bible or whatever, but. So. Which was great when he kind of outlined it a bit more, you know, and that's always a good, like I said, you know, push them back a little bit or not really push them back, but just getting some clarification from our guests on some things that they say is always welcome. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but for the most part, like I said, I, I just, I love the guy, you know, wish him the best. So anybody listening, master of reality, his book is out. It's been out for a while. He's writing another one. He said in the interview. So uh, we'll ping you guys when that comes out. I'm looking forward to it. I will admit that I did read this book. <sighs> I don't, I don't. I didn't retain it very well. Um, I would have to read it over again. <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot of stuff. 
lot of stuff He's in there. He's a smart man. So yeah. if we have any world-renowned physicists listening, uh, hit up Mark and figure some shit out for yeah, us. Yeah, yeah definitely. But uh, anyway. Because um, I'm not. <laughs> no shade. We've said that time and time again. <laughs> Bunch of knuckled riggers over here. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, you can actually, if you have any input, comment, anything back from guests we've had on, Mark, anything, topics, whatever. We've got some things lined up in the future. Actually, we've got a couple original write-ups, and there's one that I am excited about. Josh, I didn't know if you caught it, but John, you, uh, you actually commented, just finished a book, and I think it would fit in the weird, like, spooky funny octoberish time frame because it's it's weird but it's not like down the rabbit hole weird but and it's real it, it's just an amazing book about a character in uh in 1940s 50s hollywood and and i fell so much in love with it so i'm gonna write that up and present it with you guys and see if that works for you so we got a couple original stuff uh that's coming down the pike a little bit more than some guests that we have uh, so always look forward to that. Of course strange around the table we're still trying to trying to schedule um if you have any comments rebuttals anything you can go ahead and write us, strangejungles at gmail.com. You can call us at 801-252-69. Dolphin noises. <laughs> <laughs> I gave you time to prep that, did you see? <laughs> Classic, man. Eddie, 6945, and you can uh, you can call us. Leave three-minute hotline. I'll piece it together if it's longer than that. Um, and, you know, we always love hearing from our listeners, for sure. And we had some comments on Patreon, too, from uh, – uh, some of our Patreon members. And uh, so, you know, positive stuff for sure. Uh, where are we on socials? We're in the same old place. We're at uh, Strange Uncles Podcast on Facebook and Instagrams. We're at Strange Uncles on Twitter. We are, uh, we have a YouTube channel. Um, I think that's about it for those. I think so. Yeah. I don't think I missed anything. Looking good. Looking good enough for know. this episode. If I we miss so. something, we'll be back next week. Yeah. It's also not like we haven't said that a lot. So right. I don't know. Go back and listen to our entire back catalog. You can find us. <laughs> It'll be there somewhere. <laughs> Enjoy the time for sure. Anyway, uh, unless you guys got anything, I think uh, I think we did that one justice. So, yeah. Cool. Right. Well, uh, I got some Grey's Anatomy to watch. So I'll uh, don't say that you guys on the out flip loud, side. sir. God. <laughs> <laughs> you know, have fun. Um, it's so fun and just. <sighs> shitty and i love it oh quick little note josh <laughs> by the way uh wellington paranormal very it's recommended so thank you sir i am yeah. immensely enjoying the simon peg is it no no no, no that's true uh, uh it's directed by taika waititi and it's set in new zealand and it's basically like if cops was oh, turned shit. into ghost hunters what is that on uh hbo max Dog? hbo max yeah. 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 all right well Shit, I, I highly uh, instead of trash. Yeah, I highly enjoyed yeah, the. Dude, it's, uh, it's delightful. Yeah, I highly enjoyed the the penis people clone thing. I thought that was fucking hilarious. So watch it, John. Oh, you I don't know think what we're I've talking gotten about. to that one yet. It's like episode two, oh, <laughs> but they look I like penis. Seen that one? <laughs> um, but anyway. yeah, uh, it's funny. Check it out. Yep, by all cool. means. Anyway, awesome. Everybody, uh, strangers, enjoy yourselves. Take care. Weather's getting better. Stay safe. Be smart. Make good choices. Don't do what I do. Close the gates. <laughs>